like to think that, oh, we have to get involved with the president. We have to control the media. We have to do all this big stuff. Most people make a huge difference in the world by being faithful just where they are. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our special guest is Father Dwight Longenecker. He was brought up as an evangelical in the United States. Father Dwight earned his degree in speech and English before uh, studying theology in Oxford. He served as minister in the Church of England and in 1985 came into the Catholic Church with his wife and family. He's the author of 20 books and booklets on Catholic faith and culture. Father is also an award-winning blogger, podcaster, and journalist. He's pastor at Our Lady of the Rosary Church in Greenville, South Carolina, and was ordained a Catholic priest under the pastoral provision for married priests for former Protestant ministers. Father Dwight and his wife, Allison, have four children, uh, grown children too, right, Father? No grandchildren yet. No grandchildren. I said, but they're grown children, though, right? Oh, yeah, they're grown children. <laughs> <laughs> won't, grandchildren aren't far behind once they become grown children. Gr- grandchildren <laughs> on the wish list. <laughs> oh, I bet, especially for mom. That's that's a big one. I have four yep. myself and uh, uh, keeps uh, grandma very busy. So, Father Dwight, I appreciate you joining us today. We're going to be talking about uh, your recent book uh, that just came out, Immortal Combat, that I just finished reading the other day. Uh, very good book. What What was the genesis behind you writing this? Had you been thinking about this for a while? Yeah, for a, a good long while. And, well, you know, we have a, Deacon, we have a, 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 a calling to share the Catholic faith uh, with those who need it. And one of the things which is, troubles me, because I'm a writer and I'm interested in language, is the language that we use to talk about the cross. Uh, you know, here, here in South Carolina, the uh, non-Catholic Christians will say, are you saved? Jesus died to save you from your sins. And uh, I'm sympathetic to a person who, a modern person who might not have any religious background, uh, who says, what does that mean? How, how, what, you know, how does, how does the death of a criminal um, 2,000 years ago t- take away the naughty things I've done? Uh, and it's a good question. And, and if they come to a Catholic church, they will hear words like, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, and if they listen closely to the priest, they'll hear him say, you know, this victim, this uh, immaculate victim, this pure victim, this sacrifice, we offer you this sacrifice. And they're likely to say, hang on here. You know, you're talking about uh, animal sacrifice here, and, and if I'm not mistaken, you're actually talking about human sacrifice. You know, we don't do that anymore. You know, we're not Aztecs. Uh, what, what, what is this about? So um, being sympathetic to that, uh, I've therefore wanted to write a book which explains why the sacrifice of Jesus is important and how that actually works and, and what it means. So... Um, this accounts for the image on the book, which is a powerful image of a, uh, our, the hand of our crucified Lord, um, to be able to explain what do we actually mean by these words sac- of sacrifice. Well, it was an, you know, it's an excellent book. Uh, again, the title is Immortal Combat, and then underneath it says Confronting the Heart of Darkness. And I think what you do a very good job of in the book is really kind of putting a face on evil. To not only help us identify it in the world, but also to kind of see it in ourselves. Is that kind of what you were after? Indeed, because if we don't understand what the sin of the world is, 
we don't can't understand the language when we say Jesus died to take away the sins of the world, or to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the first half of the book is really looking at that question, what is the sin of the world? And the sin of the world is much more than just you know, the naughty things I've done. Uh, you know, I lost my temper. I had lustful thoughts. I, I looked at dirty pictures. Um, uh, you know, I, I hit somebody or whatever. I cheated. Yes, these are all symptoms of the sin of the world. The sin of the world is a, a deeply woven uh, net of, of deception and uh, lies and uh, deceitfulness uh, right written right into our genetic code, almost, uh, right into the way, way we're wired. Uh, as individuals and as a society. And so the first half of the book takes a real deep look at that. Um, and you're right. It's, it's, uh, it takes, it's a, it's a tough read, not tough because it's difficult to understand. Um, but tough because it's hard to hear. Well, and you really, I mean, it really helps you self-reflect, right? I mean, you, you talk about this in the world, but you remind us that it's everywhere, including in ourselves, it's in our church, and so to be able to identify, you can't fix something you don't identify or you deny. Exactly. And, and the most insidious thing about this lie that we're talking about is that um, we, first of all, lie to ourselves. And so we're actually blind to the problem. We, it takes a real effort to, to stop and look again and say, well, actually, this is about me. Uh, and because we're blind to the problem, we therefore can't fix the problem. Uh, and we see this uh, played out most of all, therefore, in what happened to our Lord in Holy Week. He is um, uh, isolated, and he's uh, pointed to as the scapegoat, the problem uh, that they're having, and he, that to get rid of the problem, they have to get rid of him. And because they're religious people, because they're, self, they're righteous people, the Pharisees and the scribes, they went home, believe me, they went home on Good Friday uh, to their dinner that evening, believing that they had done a good thing. And this is one of the deepest lies of all, how the religious people can commit evil actions in the name of, of religion. And we see it all the time. I mean, we see it today. We've, we've seen it throughout history. And so, I mean, you're bringing to, you know, everyone's attention to things that people don't want to admit, right? You like to think, well, if I'm in the church, well, then I'm, I'm good. But, you know, if we don't look at ourselves, then we're just fooling ourselves. And it doesn't matter what we see in somebody else. What we see in them is probably what everybody sees in us. And this is one of the other things I bring out, which is very relevant for the stuff we're going through this summer here in America with the race riots and so forth, is um, because there's a problem uh, and we are blind to it in ourselves, the next instinct that we all have is, well, if I'm not the problem, because I'm right and I'm good, but there is a problem, somebody else must be the problem. And this is where the sin of the world actually begins to, to turn, and it gets real ugly. Because if I'm not the problem, somebody else is the problem, therefore I'm a good person, and what do good people do? Good people get rid of badness. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I have to get rid of those other people who are the bad people who are the problem, if you're still with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, uh, therefore, in a lot of the protests that we're seeing in America today, um, this summer, on the one hand, uh, 
I'm pleased about the protests because there are so many people who are recognizing the sin of racism, the sin of unfairness, the sin of, sin of injustice, and that's encouraging. That's great that so many people are recognizing injustice and racism and so forth. What's discouraging about it is uh, how many of them are saying, yeah, this injustice, this racism, this sin, this violence, it begins with me. Uh, I'm afraid that an awful lot of the protests, the underlying assumption and the underlying statement is, yeah, these terrible things are out there, and it's those other people's problem. It's the black people's problem, or it's the white people's problem, or it's the rich people's problem, or it's the Democrats, or it's the Republicans, or it's the Jews, or it's the Muslims. (laughs) You see, this is the sin of the world. This is what we do by instinct, uh, and um, we blame others, and the, the Christian answer is always to, to look first at ourselves. Well, I think you did a good job, too, of kind of putting a face to it. I mean, you use, you know, monsters. You're talking about dragons, Medusa. You're talking about the three-headed hound of hell. Uh, so when you're talking about these topics, you know, this complexity of evil has, a, has an ugly face to it, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, I used um, a lot of imagery. I, first of all, in the book, one of the things I always do in all my writing is I try to avoid um, theological jargon, churchy talk, um, stuff that is difficult, you know, lots of footnotes and references to medieval theologians and stuff. <laughs> That's for somebody else. I try to write in a way which is very accessible. And one of the things I do is I use references to literature, um, movies, popular culture, um, ancient myth, and so forth, because this engages the the reader's imagination. Not only does it make the book more interesting to read, I hope, but also it engages the imagination. And the imagination is the portal to the heart. Uh, The imagination is what engages our heart. So I use strong language and strong imagery. Um, Hopefully, when you read the book, Deacon, at some point you were going, whoa, and this is hitting me. And, and um, Unfortunately, it was way too early into the book, Father, and it just kept hitting me all the way through. Okay, good. <laughs> then I had the proper, had the proper effect. And because um, I, I say this in the, in the introduction, I say, look, if this this book is not for wimps. Um, don't, it's gonna it's gonna challenge you, and it's gonna hit you hard. So be prepared for that. Uh, and I'm glad that it had that effect because this is the, the effect of using the imagination. Um, and using the, the vivid imagery that I use to say, look, um, one of the images, for instance, you mentioned uh, Cherubus, the, the three-headed hound of hell that comes up in, in Greek mythology, and then it recurs in Dante's Inferno and, and in even Harry Potter and stuff like that. And this three-headed hound of hell, I said, is um, the three heads of, pr- of power, um, pride, and prejudice, which operates in our human heart. But we... Because we're uh, we realize this evil is, is lurking, we put this hound on a, on a on a on a leash, and we keep him under. We think we keep him under control, but of course, um, that's one nasty beast still uh, still there, lurk, lurking within our hearts and in our society. Well, you bring up pride, prejudice, and power. You mentioned that's kind of the foundation of evil, right? Things are built upon that. And then, you know, things grow out of it, like resentment, rivalry, revenge, and you, and you have a great imagery there of, you know, it's like three poisonous weeds that are growing up. But, you know, those, you know, those words that you're using are words that we can see in ourselves. And that's why I think, you know, not only are we looking at monsters, but you, you get right to the point of what's the root of our problem. And if we're willing to address it, great. And if not, boy, shame on us. Yes, and and the 
this is where our, our Christian faith, you know, um, deacon is so powerful and revolutionary, because it is only the Christian faith uh, which has really at the very core of its experience and its basic experience the principle of repentance. Now, very often, again, repent. we think repentance means, um, oh, I have to sort of grovel and say I'm, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, or I have to go to confession and say the naughty things I've done, oh, that's what repentance is. Well, Yes, but it's much more than that. Repentance is basically starting at ground level uh, with the problem of pride. Pride is the problem of assuming that I'm right. Of course I'm right, and other people are therefore wrong. And repentance is saying, hang on, stop, put on the brakes. You know, maybe I'm not right all the time. Maybe, just maybe, I'm the one who's wrong. And repentance, therefore, is saying, this is revolutionary, because it's correcting this basic human instinct of saying I'm right all the time, and saying, no, I'm not actually right all the time. I'm wrong. Part of the problem is with me. Even if other people are part of the problem, and a major part of the problem still, I have to own my part of this. And once we do that, uh, we're liberated, because we start, everything starts to shift, and we see things in a new way. So, um, yeah, this, this is also uh, comes in then as a second part of the book, trying to say, look, here, not only is there a problem, but there's a real answer, and it's a dynamic, and it's, and, and it's a powerful answer. Right. I mean, so really we have to ask, you know, are we going to listen to the voice of the evil one, or are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, so that we actually see ourselves as we really are, and not, you know, this fictitious thing that we think in our own head that we are, you know, never wrong, like you're saying. All we have to, all, you know, anybody who's married who thinks they're never wrong is has lost their cotton pick in mind because uh, we get reminded <laughs> how wrong we are on a daily basis. And I don't even bet my life anymore. I've lost it so many times on being wrong that my wife just chuckles. Yes, and in fact, um, every aspect of our Catholic faith should actually be an exercise in uh, accepting that we're wrong. And once we do that, you see, the, the exciting thing about this, the positive thing about this, is that suddenly um, we are opened up into uh, le- actually learning something. Because you can never learn anything until you accept that you don't know it. Uh, you can never learn anything unless you're open to, to, to learn something and realizing that you're wrong. And this is why our Lord says, you know, you cannot come into the kingdom unless you're, you're, uh, you come in the, by, by the way of a little child. You become a little child, um, because children have open hearts and can learn. So this is a, a, a powerful lesson, which I'm trying to hammer home in the book. And, and especially what interests me is how the, um, how the religious mind works. And sometimes our religion can therefore bolster our um, assurance that we're right. And there's never anybody who's more, more right and more convinced of the rightness than the religious person. And... Um, Therefore, that can become even more frightening because of the very religion which be liberating us from that mentality and that pride is the thing which keeps us in it. Yeah, exactly right. And you mentioned that in the book. And you also mentioned, you know, you kind of remind us that we are the church militant. So not only are we supposed to fight evil, but we have to see the evil within ourselves if we're actually going to fight it. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that, that fight that we're engaged in, that's why I call it immortal combat, is the, the battle which um, 
our Lord is involved in from the moment of his of his conception. He, he from right from the beginning, he's engaged in this battle. That's why after his baptism, what happens? He's thrust straight into the desert to do battle with 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 the evil one. And this theme of battle has also sometimes been forgotten in our modern church, which is trying very hard to. Oh, you know, present a nice, peaceful, um, happy kind of face to, to Christianity, in which it's all about becoming better people and therapy and and building a nice, kind community. And those things are great; those are fine. But there is an aspect to our our life in faith, which is a genuine battle. And just read the lives of the saints, and you'll see each one of them was a warrior. Yeah, and you know, to that point, right? It's almost when you paint this rosy picture. That's not a picture of reality because anybody who's lived life knows that, you know, every morning you get up, you're going to have to battle something. And you talked about what's going on currently in the United States and really throughout the world. Uh, this is this is an example of this is a battle and we need to defend the faith, but we need to understand the faith. And, you know, you kind of talk about, you know, the sin of the world and the people of the lie. I mean, you put phrases to things so that people can grasp. What are the issues here? What are the problems that we really need to grapple with? Uh, and the, the problems are there when you understand the sin of the world. You would then understand and see how these problems are woven, as you've said, through our marriages, through our families, through our communities, through the businesses we, 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 where we work, through the military, through schools. It's there within every aspect of human society and every aspect of human history. And once we get put on to see things through this lens, yo, yesterday's news makes much more sense. Yeah. Um, uh, world history makes much more sense. The, the conflicts we have with our families make much more, much more sense, and we can see what's really going on. It's it's a really important um, book that I tried to write, and I tried to write it, you know, um, for the kind of people that I speak to at Catholic conferences, ordinary Catholics who want to know more about their faith and their psychology and their human interactions um, to be able to to make some real change happen. Yeah, and when you you know you look at the world, ourselves, our families, and all those things that you said, I mean, it, it really reminds us how complicit we are in where we are today. We're we're not you know lily liver white. Yeah, we're all involved in it because uh, because of our human nature, we do actually engage in these these processes that you summed up. That we um, we carry resentment in our hearts. We quite naturally blame other people for our problems. Uh, we quite naturally and instinctively shift the responsibility towards others uh, and try to squirm out of it ourselves. Uh, we do this naturally from from day one. From mm-hmm. from a, look at the little children. You know, Jimmy, did you hit Johnny? He hit me first. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's there in the Garden of Eden when when uh, the Lord comes and says, you know, um, Adam, did you did you take the apple? It's the woman you gave me. She made me do it. Yeah. Eve, did you take the fruit? <laughs> the devil made me do it. Um, and so th- this is why these, these stories of faith are so profound, because they reveal this ourselves uh, and our behaviors, um, which, which, and, and also reveal the remedy to us. Well, we are good buck passers. There's no doubt about that. Uh, now, the great part is, as you go through the book and you realize, man— I really have a lot of problems I need to fix. Towards the end, we talk. You, you talk about the secret son and the little lady. We're talking about Christ and the Virgin Mary and how they're here to help us, right? 
yeah, and in the in the second half of the book, so it's not all bad news. <laughs> and try to share why the death of Jesus defeats this evil um, on the cross, and why we have to live the cross day by day. And the cross is this cosmic victory that, uh, that takes place outside Jerusalem, but is there for all time and outside of all time. And uh, I portray it as God actually being involved in this battle. Uh, for the for the human race and for for planet Earth, which was taken over by Satan, and Jesus therefore is what I call the secret son, saying that he has come into this world um, from uh, from heaven to be like a secret agent, to be like a spy in Satan's territory, uh, and he operates in secret. Uh, until his final week, when it's revealed who he really is, and then it's resurrection, when it's finally revealed who he really is. This is an exciting and a dramatic story, and it's the, the understanding of the, of the gospel from the earliest days in the church, um, seeing it as a great battle with Satan. And I think it's a vital and it's an important image to use for, for the gospels, um, which has been largely neglected and, and ignored by modern people. Uh, and I think uh, when people read the book, uh, they're going to say, hey, this this actually makes the Gospels come alive. I understand why um, Jesus was hidden in Nazareth and why his, so much of his ministry was done in secret. Yeah, I mean, you th- I, and you did a great job of doing that, but, you know, it all starts with acknowledging that evil exists, because if you don't, then, first of all, you're you're falling right into the trap, but then nothing else makes sense, right? Exactly. If there's no real evil in the world, then there's no battle either. Uh, and in which, case, and this is this is one of the reasons why our churches are empty, because uh, modern Christianity has downplayed this aspect of evil and downplayed um, the, the the cost that's involved and downplayed the the battle that's involved, and to make everything kind of. Um, you know, like just a happy time that we come together to make the world a better place. Well, yeah, but it's much more than that, and it's a, a cosmic battle that, that we engage in for the sake of our souls. Well, and you talk about the little lady, right? She was, she was one tough cookie, right? She crushes the head of the serpent. She is uh, a warrior in, her, in and of herself, and that's, you know, the model for us. Uh, it is, and um, one of the um, things I write about is, is saying that you know that every every saint is a warrior, and uh, the Blessed Virgin is a perfect example of God using uh, an agent in the world which conforms to His way of doing things. You see, Satan and the sin of the world. They like big solutions. They like millionaires. They like military generals. They like presidents and prime ministers and and kings. They like all that pomp and circumstance. They like all that strutting and pride. They like the power that goes with all that. God comes along and says, you know what? I don't do things that way. And instead, he chooses to use, to enter into the world, he chooses to use somebody that the devil would never in a million years have predicted, and that is a little girl, uh, a peasant girl who was probably only 14 or 15 years old, um, in this backwater village of Nazareth, uh, <laughs> and nobody ever would have guessed it. And so God uses this, I call her the little lady, God uses this little lady to accomplish his plan in the world. And again, it's highly dramatic, and it's just a wonderful story, which in many ways has been neglected. 
Well, and again, the book is is very well written. It it does a great job of kind of spelling out the problem, help, having people, you know, almost do a little introspective look upon themselves to see where am I in this thing. But then mm-hmm. it does make sense of, you know, why Jesus came the way he did, why the Virgin Mary uh, is so important in our faith and in our lives, because they've battled the evil one. We're battling them now. You know, we mentioned the church militant, but we want to be part of that church triumphant, and you can't be there unless you're a battler, can you? Uh, right. There's no, there's no, if you don't, if you don't fight the battle, you will never win the victory. Um, and what, one of the aspects that I, I try to bring out in all of this with um, the Blessed Virgin Mary is to say, uh, this is the way God works in the world, but this is the way he works in the world now, too. If you want to do his work, um, be prepared to uh, work away quietly, uh, local, doing what you can do with what you have, where you are, with your family, with your parish, with your school, with your business. Um, do a work that's real, a work that's small, a work that's local. If God wants it to be big, and he wants it to be blessed, and he wants it to have a, a global or a national influence, he'll bring that to you, and you'll be able to cope. But each one of us can do what we can do with what we have, where we are, and this is exactly the way God works. Uh, he, this is the way he worked with the Blessed Virgin. This is the way he worked with the apostles. Uh, he went to Galilee and, and chose some fishermen. said, come on, you're the kind of people I can use. And that's very encouraging for all of us who are, um, well, ordinary folks, because that's the, those are the people God uses. He, and we like to think that, oh, we have to get involved with the president. We have to go to the White House. We have to control the media. We have to do all this big stuff. Well, if you're called to do that, great, go ahead and do it. But most people are not, and most people make a huge difference in the world by being faithful just where they are. Well, be careful what you wish for, because sometimes you get it. Uh, we're down to about the last minute or so, Father. How can people get this book and find out more about what you're doing? Well, I write and blog and podcast on these kind of things over at my blog. It's at Uh The book's available in the bookstore there, but it's also available at Amazon. It's available through the publisher's website, Sophia Institute Press. Um, so uh, if they do a search online uh, for DwightLongenecker.com or Mortal Kombat, um, several different ways to get it will, will, will come up, and I encourage them to do so. It's available as an e-book. It's also available soon as an audio book uh, with me reading the text. So, um, yeah, stay, uh, stay tuned. If they love it and like it, share it with others. Well, it is, it, it is a, an easy read. I like the way you write it because anything too complex, I probably wouldn't get it anyway. But it's colorful. I mean, a lot of stuff going on, but it, it really does hit home. It kind of hits to the core, which is which is what your goal was, for people to kind of look at themselves, fix themselves, but realize the victory's been won. We just, But we got to keep battling here while we're on this earth. 